we're a lending company. And so during the first few months, you know, everyone was panicking and everyone was needing payment holidays and everyone was needing people like us to be really understanding. And, you know, I mean, that's the, that's it there, purpose and action. We just lived through it. It was a great feeling to do this work when we'd just been through a time like that. Hi, I'm Beldit Mankus. Welcome to The Purposeful Strategist. The podcast that shifts the conversation about purpose and strategy from what organizations should do to what business leaders are doing and what they've learned along the way. In this episode, we will be hearing from Tara Wade, Chief Executive of Premium Credit, She shares with us the process they use to involve and embolden all their colleagues in defining their purpose, how their private equity owners relate to that purpose, and how they use it in making investment decisions, particularly the ones that are a leap of faith. Well, Tara, perhaps we could start by you just telling us a bit about yourself and about Premium Credit. Hi there. Um, so yes, my name is Tara Waite. I'm the Chief Executive Officer of Premium Credit Limited. We are a technology-led specialty lender operating in the UK and Ireland. And we primarily fund insurance uh, installments or other service-based uh, installments. So we're a B2B2C lender with about 2.1 million customers and we operate across a partnership of about 3,000 partners and we've been around for about 35 years. Can you give me a typical example of where somebody might have used your service? Sure. So either a customer or a business is working through an insurance broker. They're buying their various insurances. Maybe it's um, the car insurance or the home insurance or in a business situation, maybe it's, you know, employer's liability or property insurance. And when they get to the end of the process of choosing their insurer, our business allows that broker or partner to offer the ability to pay for the insurance and installments. And so then we provide the lending. And we do that through technically linking into our partner's technology platform so that we're there and can be offered at the point of purchase. Tell me a bit about your purpose. Sure. So actually, we've just very recently written down our purpose. So We've probably been there from the start, but importantly, not not agreed amongst colleagues. So I'm pretty new to the company. I just joined less than two years ago. In the last three jobs I've had, this has been a piece of work that I've undertaken in each company, not a two-week job, like a six-month job that says, what is our purpose? So we have written it down and we've agreed it. In getting to agreement, we've argued with one another, we've challenged one another, we've argued about words, and we've argued about words that... You might not think people would argue about, but we have. Um, We're here to proudly support our community of customers and partners in creating opportunities through convenient payments. So we really feel that in this ecosystem that we're in, and it's complex, um, we are here to create opportunities for partners because they're able to offer this service to their customers, for our customers because it allows them to do something else with the money they may have had to put down that day. And, you know, we've been doing it a long time. And uh, the way we've done it has changed, but what we've done hasn't. For that reason, I think the writing it down and getting all colleagues to agree on it is a really nice way of acknowledging the past, but also making sure we're crystal clear about the future. Mm -hmm. 
how did you actually go about it? I mean, was it more a top-down process, a bottom-up one? Who got involved? How long did it take? So everybody got involved, and it started uh, July last year, and we concluded it and, and signed it off at the board level in January of this year. It was an all sides, not top down, bottom up. It was all sides. I mean, essentially, what we did was the executive team sat down and said, if we're going to go about this exercise, what kind of guidance will we give? Because we don't want to lead the witness and we don't want to put words in people's mouths, actually explicitly really don't want to put the words in people's mouths. So we, we took a step back and we said, well, could we give some guidance in here? So could we could we write down some things about us that are givens? unlikely to change, i.e. we are a lending business. So let's not say we're going to start making Coca-Cola, right? Um, so let's write down some mm -hmm. stuff that says these are the facts. Let's also give people some good examples of corporate purpose when it's well done. So we gave some examples of the categories of types of purpose. So organizing the world's data so it's useful and use some just great examples of this is how these companies started off and this is what they thought they were about and then look how they've built on that. So we gave them kind of our givens. We gave them the kind of examples in the world of great purpose. And we also gave them some facts about our customers, who they were, you know, who our partners are. So we gave again some facts about that. With the help of a facilitator, we called it a relay race. So we set off and we said, okay, Exco started the race by creating these pieces of work that we've given you, but they're guidance. And now we're handing the baton over to a team of what we call pace setters. And pace setters were selected for this to be people who would help us to bring this into the business. So we auditioned for them. We came out and said, we're going to set our corporate purpose. Who wants to be a pace setter? Pace setter is going to have to become expert in this. They're going to have to be really brave and, you know, take colleagues through some stuff and, and handle sessions. But the great prize is that you're really there to help shape this. And so we were oversubscribed for help. Um, and that's been the case. I've done this, as I said, I've done this three times now and uh, always oversubscribe for help from the least obvious areas sometimes as well. So it's really nice because people you think wouldn't bother with this stuff, put their hands up to get involved, which is lovely. So the pace setters started off by taking these materials and then broke the company up into home teams. So there were three teams on this, the executive team, the pace setters and the home teams. But everybody in the whole company was in one of those groups. And so Exco kicked it off. The pace setters had a two day kind of big experience of this is what Exco said. We helped them. We pitched in. The facilitator took them through it. And by the end of all of that, they knew what their job was. And their job was to go out to their home teams. So they were all given home teams and they ran a series of exercises with those home teams. And they went to, you know, when you think about what we do, what type of emotions do you feel? You know, when you think about what we do, tell me what you think thematically we do. So there's a bunch of questions that still didn't try and force the answer. It just tried to draw it all out. And so from bottom up, we gathered a lot of feelings, emotions, because this is a feelings and emotive topic and peppered with also practicalities. And we gathered it all up and the pace setters then brought that back and fed it back to us and told us what was coming up. And then they were tasked with going and drafting a number of draft statements. And then it became this relay race, passing over and back between the three groups. And we finessed it and finessed it and finessed it and finessed it. And eventually we got to the statement that I, I said earlier on. How many sort of cycles of this from the exec to the home teams and back did you take? I mean, I'd say there were at least three, maybe nine, 
you know, one after the other, oh. and 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 then yeah. the, and in the end, they're in quick succession because you're going, okay, we took what you said, we liked all of this. Now let me show you this. Um, it's an exercise that gets the best out of everybody because if you hold your opinion lightly, so you liked this word last time and you thought it was the right word. But then the other team took it away and said, what about this? And then you go, oh, yeah, wow, well, I didn't think about that. Then you get the best outcome. And, and you know, you think the Exco drafts that they liked in round two, you know, that doesn't become the answer just because the exec said it. Everyone's emboldened to disagree with it if they want to. And so it's welcomed, which is good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that isn't in your purpose, at least I can't hear it there, is anything about climate carbon net zero just given how big an issue that is does it really make sense to have a purpose that doesn't at least somehow relate to that the way we think about our purpose is our purpose is what we're here to do for the people who use our services but they sit upon our values and our values were revisited as an organization at the same time as we recast our purpose and actually they completely changed the relay process I've just described, we also did the same in a shortened version at the end with our values. So once we knew what our purpose was, we set our values. And our values have a lot of kind of do the right thing elements to them in, in what we say we're here to do. Standing true and being ethical and having integrity is one of them. And our view is that in the world of ESG and the world of the old world of corporate social responsibility. The purpose is the what we do. For us, the values are the how we do it. And the how we do it needs to take into account everything you've just said. If we were a business that was directly impacting the environment, and I know we do impact it, so I'm not saying we don't, but I'm just saying if we were an oil company, I think we might have something in our purpose statement itself that talked to that element. But our our view was it was appropriate for us to handle that in our values. If I understand right, you're owned by a PE firm, at least generally not widely seen as most concerned about social welfare and all of that. What's your experience? My experience is that my private equity companies sit around my board and our board engaged in this exercise and signed off the purpose and took part in it in their way. They expect me as the CEO of the company to do all the things that are important. It might be that their top five KPIs are not, have you set your purpose, but they're fully supportive. Um, I can't say that I've had anything other than a supportive experience. However, from my perspective, it's like, this is my job to do this stuff. There's lots of things I do in my day job that isn't on their daily radar. And um, it's just, it's for me to get on and do it and make sure that the board are engaged. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It sounds like your purpose is fairly new, but how's it shown up in the way you approach any strategic decisions? Definitely intended to be the backdrop for our decisions. And it's meant to be the true north so that when we have a difficult conversation and difficult decision to make, So, for example, investment, we will use it as a, does this serve customers and partners? You know, if you're head to head and all things being equal, then we should go with that one. So at the moment, uh, the way we've set it up, and it is relatively early here, uh, but at the moment, it, it is absolutely about in our investment committees, when it comes to change that we're trying to make, we divide the world into, is it regulatory must do? Is it strategically aligned financially? And then we have this notion of, Again, is it serving our purpose? 
And it's just getting bedded in. It's new for this organization, um, the last couple of organizations. Really, that's what it's ended up being. Is it? And, and I think that's why it's most powerful. Um, for me, selfishly, why I do this as a CEO is it's much easier to lead people and ask them to do their best for you and the company when you speak to them in language that is realistic about what we do and, you know, real about what we do. So you, you're you asked in the pub, what do you do? And somebody answers this way, not, I work in a financial services company, it's pretty dull. <laughs> We're an important part of the ecosystem so that people can pay for stuff in installments. It's just bringing people's views on what they do to life. And you bring it to life just as much in an investment committee where you're saying, which one do we do? And we go, well, that one clearly serves our purpose better. So it comes first. And that that's kind of the practicalities that we're embedding here. And I, you may not have hit it yet, but but have you found situations where the you know the, the strategic stuff seems sort of at odds with the purpose bit? We've had a senior level meeting where I'm explaining or we're explaining this is the roadmap for our customer and partner journeys for the coming years. And we really need to do this. And then various stakeholders come in and go, what do we mean by really need to do this? And what really is intended by that question is how much is it going to cost? And do I have an optionality on whether I do it or not? And we use our purpose language to say, yeah, this is absolutely mission critical. It's future proofing in the world of a lot of shareholders. Future proofing means, you know, getting past end of life or getting out of non-support, you know, there's a, there's language and that language is usually kept very carefully for optionality. And, and what we're moving this company into is saying, look, you can look at the profit and loss. You can look at whether we're growing or not. You're going to have to take a leap of faith. If we have the best customer journeys and the best partner journeys, then we will retain more people. And I can't give you the KPIs and the benefits case today to say that, but it will happen. It's that leap of faith that I think isn't obviously instilled in people who who grow up in financial services backgrounds that really is the hardest nut to crack in this space. But you just have to convince people with the logic of the world is moving very fast. Others will do this better than you. If they do it better than you, people will go with the path of least resistance and the easiest journey. Um, And I think people are more and more and increasingly able to get on board with that without the absolute. And here's the, here's the money. What I think I hear in what you're saying is you, you kind of have a, story, a narrative, a theory about the way the world's going to unfold. And you use that purpose to sort of make sense of that and then make choices that you can't justify just by looking at the past. I think that's why, that's the very reason why I, when I do this work, I make sure that the examples I use of purpose-led organizations are globally hugely successful flywheel organizations whose belief becomes a momentum and pushes into spaces. It's really helpful to stakeholders to go, okay, I get it. Those are organizations that really did start out to live a certain purpose, to solve a certain issue for people. That belief and that drive and that focus ended up having all sorts of additional benefits, new product lines, new services, because they just kept relentlessly focusing on that. And I think that that's a pretty easy tale to tell today. It's probably a lot harder 10 years ago. I just believe that non-purpose-led organizations need proof and facts to make decisions. Purpose-led organizations have to take a bit of leap of faith. Mm -hmm. I think I hear what you're saying, the possibility that if you and I had this conversation, maybe not 10 years from now, but some years from now, and I ask, what's the purpose? You might have a, a bigger statement that it's not just sort of enabling and convenience. 
And one of the things about purpose is it's got to feel authentic. So it's got to be big and ambitious enough. But if it's inauthentic, then nobody believes in it. And it becomes, it actually becomes damaging. You know, it's the opposite of what you were looking for. So when we landed on that statement, this was the biggest final conversation because we had wider words in there and we deliberately scale them back to say, look, we're in the world of convenient payments. That's what we do, right? So we, we've we been here all this time because when somebody finds an installment payment convenient, they light on us and they're happy to have us there. That is enormous. The world of payments is enormous today. <laughs> if we only solved more problems in payments outside of our current uh, sectoral focuses, that would keep the very small number of people we have in our organization busy for the rest of their lives. And so this was a huge point for us. We thought about that a lot. Your kind of mindset is there are these problems in the world, these inconveniences. We can make those go away or reduce them. What, what I hear you're explicitly not doing is saying those inconveniences come from something. Our problem is not to make sure those inconveniences never occur. It's just where they show up in the world and people trying to get through their lives we can smooth it out. Yeah. I was involved in a piece of work at Said Business School where they and Berkeley University were working on corporate purpose and asked me to be part of the kind of steering group on it. And absolutely, you know, it's solving the world's problems, but in a positive way in which you're doing good in the world and you're trying to do it in the right way. It's that sentiment, but that's exactly what I think purpose is about in, in an organization. But I also hear you're perhaps very wisely saying, this is our patch. Maybe someday our patch will be bigger, but right now this is our patch. Yeah. I think if you start a new company tomorrow morning and you're onboarding brand new people and you start with a vision and a statement and a purpose, if that's what you call it on day one, um, you can probably be more expansive and hone in. When you've got an established past and a history you come to the table with your own envelope size for what you really think you're there to do. My job is to expand that, but to make it focused enough that people really know what we're pointing at. So we get something done and it doesn't feel an overreach, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, that's how mm, I feel about mm, it. I'm not saying yeah, it's the right yeah. approach, but I'm saying it's my style of, of purpose. <laughs> mm-hmm. And as far as your strategy, you know, if you can sum it up, fairly succinctly our strategy that sits under that purpose is then about you know we work for a private equity company they will want to exit us at some point and so we have set out a strategy that says we're going to deliver a business of the size scale and quantum that our owners want through three strategic pillars and they are about seamless customer and partner journeys so striving to make what we do and that's where the purpose brings it all together so being absolutely relentless on our energy efforts, our focus and our decisions are all around. Is it going to make that boat go faster? <laughs> and and if it does, then it gets full endorsement. And we believe that that will drive the numbers that our shareholders are looking for. The second bit is about from the, this ecosystem we're in, we have so many data points, but organizing that data and using it appropriately. So actionable data and insight is the second part of our our strategic push to build the business of the future. And then the third part of all of that is a flexible operating model that sits behind all of those, that is adapting to what customers need, not being stuck in the past. So we've been around a long time. We think we're built right today. Every time we look at another part of the journey, the end-to-end journey, and do that better, 
we discover pockets of areas of capability where we need to be better and different. So those three things are culturally massive for our company, but they all have an anchor to our purpose that says we could have kept doing what we're doing, turning the handle all day, every day, and we would be a big company with lots of customers and lots of partners and financial strength. But we'll only be around in 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, if our eye is on the prize for the purpose under these three pillars at the moment, the strategy is driving ourselves forward under those three pillars and to deliver the outcomes for our shareholders that they want. When you talked about the purpose, there was a very inclusive, iterative process. Did you use the same approach to develop the strategy? So the strategy was very much a top-down driven exercise. So it was a, okay, um, the, the, the management team are here in order to deliver on the financial objectives that our ownership structure requires. So we know what that looks like. So that's one kind of envelope piece that we know is there. Now let's take a step back and say, how do we marry these two things up? So we know as an organization that what we do today seems to be valuable for customers and partners because otherwise we wouldn't be here. We're challenging ourselves to make sure that doesn't change. So the reason we've got these three pillars is each of those three pillars is making sure that's relevant. So the purpose drives the pillars of the strategy. And then there's that belief link <laughs> that doing those things well gets the, gets the numbers to where they need to be. And that is the thing I spoke about earlier on where, you know, if I just delivered the numbers, then how much homework checking would happen on my strategic pillars in the current environment? Uh, probably light touch. Uh, if, I, if I didn't, then there would have to be heavy focus on what's not going well in the company. And that's how I think of the two things being um, linked together. It started with the executive team and we yeah. worked through the, you know, what are the things in our business today that we think we need to focus on and improve? That came up with the pillars. And then that kind of relay work I spoke about on the purpose, that occurred between the executive team and our senior leadership team. So kind of not top, top management, but the kind of managers in the company. And their job was then to take away what they took from that process at each step and share it with their people, get the feedback, bring it back to the table. So kind of a shorter piece of work than the purpose, uh, oddly enough. But we do it every year and we refresh it. So mm -hmm. it's a bit more ingrained. I've got it right. You mentioned there were about 250 people. We're about 350 people. We outsource a lot of our IT development and testing to a third party, but we work with them in a really inclusive way. So I think about us as being a company with, with another 130 people to add on top because of those partnerships. Where I was headed was to understand whether you thought this very inclusive process would work if it was an organization four or maybe five times bigger. So I think you can do it. I think you can. I worked in a 25,000 person company a couple of jobs ago, um, and they didn't do this exercise, but we did have a piece of work that was done through a, a, an exercise that was not massively dissimilar. Now, you start from the top and you run sessions across the whole organization and get input. And also today, it's about logistics and organization. Anything can be done with logistics and organization. We don't have to travel to places. You know, This time I did this work completely remotely. The last time I did it, it was face-to-face -face sessions and whatever. And I was really interested to see how it would work, having run the you know, very similar thing twice. And the outcome was just as good because you can actually mm. run more sessions for longer, you know, as long as you just get the right number of people in the room when you're looking for people's opinions. And as long as you use the right techniques to gather opinions, 
then I think you can. Is there anything you're particularly proud of in how you've gone about the development of a purposeful strategy? I think the proudest thing for me through all of this has been, it's really nice to let everybody in the organization really see that great companies means everyone has an opinion. And there's no better exercise than this to really make people believe that that's the intention of the executive team and the, the CEO, if that's me that you're looking at. Um, you know, I want to work in a business where everybody feels brave enough to put their hands up and that their opinions are listened to. This is nobody's subject matter specialism, but we're all consumers. Hmm. We're all people who use services. And so when you're talking about this, you really distill the language down to it's very, very basic. And that's another thing. Language is so important in this. And I'm going to use that as my what's difficult in a minute. <laughs> um, but yeah, what's, what I'm super proud of is that people really feel, listen to, you need to let go as an executive and say, I might have loved the statement that we workshopped in round two, but I've got to let it go now. Anything could happen to it. And I'm an asshole if I if I try to grab it back. You know, this is, has arms and legs and it's bigger than you and it's bigger than me. The difficult thing is it's really difficult to stop people talking in internal acronyms and you've got to really spend a lot of time stopping them doing that because you've got to go back to this is the language of the customer. You know, you'll get drafts and you've got to try and help everybody to think more broadly without laying your 10,000 votes down too hard, but just to go the language, you need to be able to use it. Um, you need to be able to use it with your family, your mother or your father, and they need to understand mm. it. And that's that's really hard. You kind of have to keep keep that in the system. So what we do with the pace setters, for example, is we bring them through that. We take them through that carefully. We say, look, you're going to get caught in it. You'll be in a conversation and you'll have found yourself in the acronyms. You forget about it. Have a post-it note in front of you going, language <laughs> and that's hard have you seen ways in which going through this process has shifted the mindset of people in the business more broadly that that they're more using language that is language customers would use understanding more the big picture are you seeing any of that it takes time it's just a thing we do and actually reinforcement and being a bit boring on certain things is the most important thing so there is language and phrases that i now use repeatedly and it's not because i can't think of better words it's because it's about us all being on the same path and then what you start to see as a leader is that gets starts to get played back to you because this is culture it's tone from the top it's you know, this is how we communicate now. There's a lexicon, everyone understands it. So when I'm trying mm. to talk to my point here, if I'm trying to get somebody to believe my business case, then I'm going to use the language because that's the way to show that we are aligned and that has currency. So it's a powerful thing. It starts small, it builds big. Uh, it takes a bit of time, but it's um, it's culture change. Good. Um, you've buried in, a number, in things you've said, there's sort of, tips and suggestions for other leaders who might be wrestling with but i'm just wondering if there's anything you'd want to pull out explicitly and as a bit of advice for somebody who's thinking about going down the a journey similar to the one you've been on i think persuade yourself first don't do it because it's the thing to do i started doing this 10 years ago but because i was very lucky to be sent on a program you know in a leadership course a long time ago it was an organization starting to understand why older companies were starting to lose out to the, the giants. And this is before the giants were giants. And it was hinting at some of this stuff, but it didn't even use purpose. But it just made you curious about why some companies were better than others. And it was the click moment for me. 
if you're speaking to your colleagues, talk about what you're there to do. The the, the numbers are pretty dull, actually. And, you know, in the, in this course, it was save that for the board. <laughs> but, you know, in the language of what we do to get people really excited about what we do, talk about what you do for customers and, par- and partners if you're in a business to business environment. So, I mean, I got convinced of this. So then I started doing it early because I realized it's very powerful. It's a nicer way to work and it's a really nicer way to engage with colleagues. And as a leader, it makes your life a lot easier when it comes to how do you get the best out of people and how do you get people to emote about what they're doing? Um, so I guess I my biggest tip is if you feel you need to do it because everyone else is doing it, um, get yourself convinced first. And I don't know how you would do that, but do something to make yourself feel you know, like you're going to put your all into it because you can do this in, in a week. You can write the thing down in a week. It'll feel very empty. I, I always say to people, every month you spend on it is another year this will feel alive because it's so easy to draft a sentence and to run a workshop and get everyone to agree it. They don't care about it a week later. You've got to relay it in order for them to care about it and remember it. Mm-hmm. I think that's great advice. What would you say the impact's been on you personally? I think I think that in a busy day when there's lots of priorities and lots of things to do, it's the true north. So it's the way of going, come on, you know, wow, you know. And actually, in the middle of COVID last year, when we were, we had just begun to start the work on it and we had to put it down because we had to deal with the first few months of COVID. It was actually great to do this after experiencing we really needed to be here for customers and partners. We're a lending company. And so during the first few months, you know, everyone was panicking and everyone was needing payment holidays and everyone was needing people like us to be really understanding. And, you know, I mean, that's the, that's it there, purpose and action. We just lived through it. It was a great feeling to do this work when we'd just been through a time like that. It's a, it's, this is about communication and, and, you know, Work's a great place to be if everyone feels like they're communicating with one another and there's a common purpose. Work is a confusing place to be and probably not a fun place if you don't have something that unites. And so for me as a CEO, it's been a really powerful thing to do and I wouldn't run a company without doing it. Good. Fantastic. Personally, I really like hearing about your particular approach to being much more inclusive both around the purpose and it sounds like the strategy than I think a lot of organizations are. Yeah. Thanks so much. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Purposeful Strategist. Please email any questions or suggestions to belden at mancus.com. In addition to being available on our website, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. If you enjoyed this episode, we release a new episode weekly. Don't forget to subscribe. Thanks again, and join us soon for the next episode of The Purposeful Strategist.